today on CityCast Madison. It's the Friday News Roundup. An internal complaint alleges the Madison School District spokesperson ought to be sent to the principal's office. Is local software giant Epic hindering tech startups? And have you heard of the Wisconsin Wombats? CityCast Madison's Molly Stentz is here for a walkabout through this week's news. It's Friday, June 2nd. I'm Dylan Brogan, and here's what Madison's talking about. It's the Great Friday Roundup. Bianca Martin is off this week, but joining me now is the sheriff of this here podcast. It's Molly Stentz. Hi, Molly. Hey, Dylan. Welcome back. Yes, thank you. How was your assignment? Good. Got married and everything. It was great. Well, now lending further credence to the idea that you and Bianca are indeed the same person and cannot be in the same room. You are back. What? Oh, that's right. That's true. I didn't know that was a rumor (laughs) that me and Bianca were the same person. But you're going to have to talk me through that one one day. (laughs) Be quite the trick. Whoever's doing it. it must not be me. Well, we miss Bianca, but we're glad you're back. Thank you. And hey, uh, we got some news this week about the Madison School District. I mean, you remember when we talked to Tom Kamenick, the public records attorney? Of course. Yeah. Good episode. Yeah. So he called the Madison School District the worst government agency in the entire state when it comes to public records, you know, letting the public know what's going on. So people have been complaining about the school district Four years. Four years. We did not make this up. This is a thing. You can check it out. It can take months, if not years, to get the school district to respond to basic requests for information. And it's gotten so bad that people have to sue them to get action. So now we know a little bit more about what's going on over there, thanks to, well, you guessed it, a lawsuit. And open records. Yes. Yes. This story brought to you by Open Records. So three school district employees had lodged a complaint against the spokesman for the district. And a reporter found out about it and requested a copy, which, you know, one would think this is an official document of the school district, which is a public government entity, which we pay for. We should be entitled to know. But the spokesperson, he refused to hand it over. And then he sued the district to try to keep it a secret. Right. So how'd that go? Yeah, it didn't work out for him because a Dane County judge ruled on the side of public access and the document was released. And yeah, it was bad. It did not look good for him. No good. It was real bad. So it was the complaint against him and three former employees. Okay, so was it as bad as everyone thought it was going to be? Yeah, I think so. It dated back to 2021. So more than two years of problems. And this is not just like, this guy was mean, we don't like him. This was a multi-page detailed documentation of serious problems occurring at the district with the communication departments over two years. I mean, woof. So some of the allegations were things like, you know, they range from unprofessional conduct, like basically demeaning the journalists, the people who it is your job to work with as a communications person for the district. Like the head, the main spokesperson. Yeah. The head of the department, yeah. the voice of the school district 
one of the largest school districts in our state, right? So he called a female reporter a pig, sleazy, called another one a horrible human being, and that he effing hates them. Wow. Things like that. I mean, basically just calling the media aggressive and nasty, uh, blocking access to the superintendent at public forums, which were there so that the public could be informed about what the school district is doing. Uh, journalists were prevented from talking to the head of the of the district. There were also allegations of sexism where, you know, he told a female reporter, oh, no, there's a rule. You can't go into the schools on the first day of class where he didn't say the same thing to a male reporter. So playing favorites, driving people to quit, bullying. Yeah, I think that's like one of the big important detail here is that these are other school district employees that are like this kind of treatment of the press is not professional and and, and not okay and is and is sexist even and makes us all look bad right and and that's in fact what the spokesperson's attorney argued in court is like hey this guy is the voice of the district this guy speaks for the district and if we release this complaint if this gets out it could damage his reputation and and he and he's the voice of the district so it's damage it's going to damage the school district and it's like yeah that that might actually be true but that's because of the conduct not because the information was made public one thing that i don't quite understand and that we should say is that so right this formal complaint was filed by school district employees in madison but then the the school district's attorney ruled that it was without merit Parts of it, right? Parts of it. Well, that's what I don't quite... So this complaint basically didn't go anywhere in terms of, you know, the school district itself looking at whether the conduct of their spokesperson was violating their own rules or let alone was he doing, you know, what he's supposed to do, which is fostering a good relationship with the press and the public. And it was amended. Originally, there were there were more people on the complaint. So it's been quite a process. And I don't think the entire story has come to light mm. yet about what transpired over the past two years at the district. But what I know, what you know, as journalists in Madison, having interacted with the school district, asking them for comment, wanting to get connected, you know, to speak with members of the administration, as is our jobs, uh, it was it was difficult, I would say. The charges in this complaint are way worse than just like ignoring reporters. Yeah, this all sheds a little more light on what we talked about in that episode, which is that Parents, anyone, members of the public who tried to get information out of the school district, as is their right under law, were just getting stonewalled. We're getting the runaround. It was taking months, if not years, to get the information because the comms department was not doing their job. And Yeah, and that long uh, report or complaint also just said how everything had a – all media requests, all interview requests had to go through Tim Lamones. Right. And – you know, sometimes, you know what I really appreciate about local government, like, you know, with the city or the county even, they're usually pretty good about if you call the person you need to talk to, they'll answer your questions. You don't have to just constantly go through a communication person. And sometimes it just doesn't make sense. It's like, OK, so you got to email the comms person to find out a question. And then he goes and asks, why can't you just talk to the official directly? Like they're the expertise anyway. So that's one thing right. I just never understood, like why that was a good practice. Lots of issues there. I do not think this is the last we'll hear of this issue. Also, 
I haven't heard anything from the school district Nothing. since this complaint was released. And Well, how could you? The spokesperson is the one it's all about. <laughs> like, who are you supposed to talk to? That was my favorite part. I got a of Scott Gerard's story in the Cap Times where he was like, I would like comment, but it's unclear who I seek comment from since they tell me I have to talk to this guy, the spokesperson, who's currently the subject of this complaint. So I I don't know how to who to seek comment for about the spokesperson. What a bizarre, bizarre story. But, you know, in all seriousness, it raises a lot of questions about accountability at the school district and administration and what is happening there and how this could go on for two years. Can I tell you something, though, a little bit I was disappointed by? That you weren't name checked? Yeah. Well, the, it's not like I haven't written anything about the school district. I know it's not that often, but like, get out of here, Tim Lamones. All the, <laughs> we, we've had it out a few times. You can't call me an SOB or something just to help my cred a little. That's, I gotta admit, I almost texted you. I knew you were off, but I read the complaint and I searched for your name. I that literally was the what, first. What thing the I heck? Did. Anyway, well, I guess I gotta write more about the school district. Yeah, this will not be the last that we hear about this or talk about the school district, and the real questions it raises about administrative control and how the next superintendent is gonna manage their executive level staff and their department heads and what kind of leadership they'll provide. So stay tuned for that. All right, Molly, let's talk about more news. But first, I think we should take a break and hear what Bianca has planned for the weekend. So Molly, the news I want to talk about this week is some some really kind of important and sadly rare reporting on this huge employer in town called Epic Systems. Have you heard of Epic? Only, what, the largest electronic health record provider in the country? Yes. Um, and a huge success locally, right? Uh, out of here, starting in Madison by Judy Faulkner, who's still running the place, and started like 30 years ago, and now went from one and a half employees, and now they have more than t- almost 13,000, and, and they're going to be hiring another 1,700 or so. Um, in, in the coming weeks and built, you've seen that palatial campus they have out there. But Mark Eisen and wrote the cover story for the June edition of Isthmus. And he really goes into what Epic has done in terms of perhaps stifling innovation in the, the healthcare field by the non-compete agreements that they make their workers sign. And and not just their workers, but they have non-compete agreements essentially with their customers and with um, the consulting firms they work with. And basically what happens is you agree to work for Epic, and if you want to work in any related field or if you want to work for any of the Epic's customers, you have to wait at least a year. It sounds like it could be two years in, in some cases. Yeah, so the idea there, right, is to protect the intellectual property of the company, right? The idea is that, you know, which happens a lot in tech is that workers get poached. You know, there's a lot of demand for for tech workers, right? And so that if you have intellectual property, if you've helped develop systems for a company that they've paid you to do that, that you can't just like, quit, take another job at a, at a, you know, maybe a higher rate or a more, a sweeter deal and like take all that knowledge that they paid you to develop and then give it to another company. Which makes sense. Right. Like that's the, the theory behind them. Yes. But one of the things that it raises is 
is this actually preventing or suppressing more of a startup culture here in Madison in that there's this big push, right, that the Madison area is going to develop a tech sector, or, you know, to further develop its burgeoning tech sector. So, you know, we've got this uh, whole UW Research Park. We've got a bunch of tech startups. And don't we want companies to start here? Don't And how do they start? Well, often it's, you know, a few people getting together with an idea of how to make something better. I think a really choice quote from this Isthmus story is, so one one longtime Epic employee talked about how Microsoft in Seattle, it spawned hundreds of startup jobs because they didn't have these really aggressive non-compete agreements. And the quote is, that doesn't happen here in the healthcare tech sector because of Epic and their tight control over their employees and also their customers and who they can hire. California, the home of Silicon Valley, they have banned non-compete agreements very famously, and that had really created a startup culture that has served uh, the Seattle area well and has served California well. So is Madison missing out because of these non-compete agreements that, that Epic seems to be not the only business, but they seem to be particularly aggressive on? Well, what's interesting, too, is I don't know if you're as big a nerd as me. You might be. But I don't know if you've been following the FTC stuff that Lena Khan is doing, but she is actually going to take this on, it seems like. So I was listening to an interview with her on a on a on another podcast. Yes. And she's the head of the FTC. She's this like a- ambitious lawyer that came in and is like, we got probs in this country with antitrust and monopolies. And she has been trying, trying to actually get legislation and rules passed to make things a little more equitable in the economy for most of us. And one of the things she's identified is these non-competes, basically being like, this is stifling innovation. <laughs> this is this is anti-competitive. Yeah, I guess it's just a little disappointing. And it's good to see this enterprising reporting about um, Epic because, you know, you hear a lot of positive things, but kind of as a black box in a lot of ways to reporting. Yeah. And, and, you know, they can still protect their intellectual property, right? This is just about what are those employees supposed to do for a year or two after? Have saved up enough money to go live in Fiji or something and take a year off? They're supposed to just like... Essentially, that's what ends up happening, that you have to take a year off or else that's it. Um, But, you know, uh, maybe the federal government will get involved and then Epic will have to change. I think this is an important issue, particularly here in, in Dane County and Madison, because of Epic's success. It's bigger than just the employees. Yes. It's it's about the entire ecosystem and economy of Madison. We don't have non-competes, do we? We compete with everyone. I'm not at liberty to say. Oh, get out of here. Just kidding. All right. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> you know what else I don't know what's going on? Have you heard? Uh, you, po- you found this. I don't know where you found this, but there's, apparently there's some Australian football happening in Madison and... How have we not heard about this? What is Australian (laughs) football even? I don't even know. I was hoping you would know because I was... Oh, I looked it up and it's like a lot of kicking and you jump on people's backs and and a catch is called a specky and it seems very Australian. But apparently they're doing it at uh, Rindell Park and maybe Old Brick or there's a little league that is formed. The Wisconsin Wombats. Did you? I, I had no idea this was an official thing that we have this actual team, an Australian rules football team, part of the USAFL. 
Okay. It combines soccer, ultimate frisbee, hockey, rugby, and basketball into a sport all its own. Why are we the wombats? We don't have wombats. Get this. The United States Australian Football League is the governing body for Australian rules football in the United States, created in 1996, where Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. Who knew? Who knew we were the home to such such things? Not I. What To obscure um, <laughs> Southern Hemisphere sports? We're the, we're the epicenter of it here in the United States. <laughs> Good old Sonny P. So the next question is, though, the city is, you know, might be making some big improvements uh, to Bree Stevens to bring this pro women's soccer league in. I heard you're excited about that. Oh, I'm I'm excited. Other people are excited. Uh, so how much <laughs> are we? Get, uh, are we? Is the city or the state uh, thinking about investing in sports teams? Because it seems pretty popular. These very profitable sports teams to be getting pretty good deals on stuff. <laughs> big wombat's going to be lobbying the state government. <laughs> Yeah, it's state budget time, so everybody, you know, everybody's got their hand out. I mean, Austro-American uh, relations have been suffering lately. I know that this could really <laughs> mend the gap. So we're, you know, who knows what's going to happen with the Brewer Stadium? Hard to even understand what all those millions would go for over there. So we're talking about publicly financing upgrades to the Brewer Stadium. Now it looks like the Packers want some because of this NFL draft that they're going to host. And they're asking for some state money for Lambeau. Isn't the NFL and Major League Baseball highly profitable? I I was going to say, I have a very unpopular take, perhaps, but you know who makes bank off of these? The broadcasters. Why don't they chip in for it? They do. And well, they pay a lot, too. That's, I guess, a lot of these TV deals is where the real money is made. So I'd like to see uh, if if a city or any government invests in something that they get to take part in the reward, too. That seems only fair. Well, don't we benefit? I guess. Less tangentially. Actual ownership stake. Like you want a check in the mail. No, I'm just saying, okay, you want $2 million, uh, Lambeau Stadium, then the people of Wisconsin are going to get like a 1% cut of future uh, revenue that you collect off of these improvements. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds fair, right? (laughs) I mean, they're the ones asking for government money. It's not me. Oh, exactly. Exactly. So would you pay for the Wombats, though? That's what I want to know. What if Rindal, What if the Wombats were like, you got to upgrade Rindal, which, come on. Well, I think Madison and the state could do more to invest in the arts. And I'm going to call Australian football in America the arts. So What? It's so, it's a, what? It's, Get out of here. I don't know. It seems like it fits the bill. Some obscure cultural. Obscure. It combines soccer and football. Yeah. Anyway. Listen up, Tony Evers. Fun this. <laughs> We want to know what you think, listeners. Should we? Where does it stop? Where does the buck stop? Should we? Should we finance Brewer Stadium upgrades? What about Lambo? What about Rindall? Bree Stevens? Where does it end? It ends right here, Molly. Yeah. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. Bianca Martin is your host. We're produced by Molly Stentz, me, Dylan Brogan, and this week, Lizzie Goldsmith. Our theme music is by Carl Christensen. You can also get more news delivered right to your inbox from our friends at Madison Minutes. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a bloke or a Sheila about us? We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Until then. 
We're recording the roundup. My dog is chewing a bone. Can you hear him? Or is it okay? Ah, you're fine. I okay, can't. good. Okay. Like, <laughs> anyway.